electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Brian Kelly, and Nadine Turman. Tonight on Fast, don't fear the summer slump with the S&P at record highs. The man who moves the markets, J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovich, tells us where he sees stocks going from here. Plus, we're all over the after-hours action. Shares of FedEx and Nike will break down the earnings results, give you the trades. And later, loyal Fast Money fans might remember Guy Adami here had a different way to play Biogen's Alzheimer's treatment news. Well, well, that trade is working out in a very big way today. He'll give us the trade update. But we start off with big news from the big banks. Findings for the latest round of stress tests released just in the last half hour. Let's get straight to Leslie Picker, who's got all the details. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. The Fed paving the way for a big second half for bank dividends and buybacks. Today's stress test results showed that all 23 large banks were able to maintain capital levels well above their required levels. That clears the way for the Fed to lift the previous restrictions on payouts that were instituted during the COVID outbreak last year. Now, Goldman Sachs said in a note earlier this week, that it expects the large banks subjected to stress tests to have a 116% average payout this year, substantially higher than last year. Now, we're unlikely, unlikely likely, sorry, to find out about specific plans from the banks until Monday. Banks are able to return capital to shareholders so long as it doesn't encroach on their so-called stress capital buffers. This is a relatively new formula determined by the Fed's stress test, which dictates the risk threshold that banks need to surpass to ensure that the system is well capitalized. Now, today's tests were the result of a severe hypothetical scenario whereby the unemployment rate rose to 10.75% and GDP fell 4% with a 55% decline in equity prices. Under that framework, the Fed said that the 23 banks would lose a combined $470 billion the bulk of which would come from loan losses. Now, the bank's aggregate capital ratios in that structure would slip to 10.6%, which is still more than double the minimum requirement. So all, all in all, a pretty good report, Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. Guy Dami. Yes. Um, oh, by the way, hello. Oh, hello. Good to see you. It's nice to be back. Yeah. I was on assignment for a couple days. Um, did, you, did you think the banks would pass this after they had themselves gone through uh, an actual real-life stress test known as a pandemic? That's exactly right, and that's the point that Brian Kelly made earlier today on our call. Yeah, yes, I think it was pretty much a foregone conclusion, so I don't think this is necessarily one of the tailwinds that banks are going to face, but it's certainly not a headwind, and I think we've tried to tell people how to trade banks for a while. From my vantage point, it's always been about tangible book. We talked about City. They reported in April, I believe, said that tangible book was 76. We said it would overshoot to the upside, and guess what happened? I know you know because it traded up to 79 and has pulled back. I think once again, these banks are giving you an opportunity to get long the stocks. And one name that's been impervious to any of this stuff, a name that we've been mentioning now seemingly for years, has been Blackstone, which for the first time ever, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Traded over $100 today, Mel. BX. Yeah, not a bank, so you answered a question hey, whoa, that she didn't whoa, 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 ask. Whoa, 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 I, I just say this whoa, about whoa, Citigroup, because you just mentioned Citigroup. You know, it got to 80, guy. It got just above 80. It sold off 16% from that high, from the highs earlier in this month. And I thought that was really interesting because that was actually double the downside performance of the peak to trough decline in the XLF. So, you know, again, I think we're likely to see banks, when they give their guidance for the Q3 and, and probably mid-July or so, we're going to see a different set of, of results, I think. And, and I would suspect that Citigroup is not going to be in the best performing. Um, JP Morgan pulled back to a level. Morgan Stanley pulled back to a level on the charts that looked like pretty decent support here. And maybe you get a run into those Q2 prints. But again, I'm not expecting huge guidance in the back half of the year, especially with visibility with rates and then maybe the deceleration or tough comps relative to some of the capital markets activity yeah. that we saw year over year. I mean, we had blockbuster trading, Nadine. We had um, a blockbuster SPAC market, blockbuster new issuance market, in the, particularly <laughs> in the first quarter. We had rates that were going up as opposed to going sideways. So what do you think of the banks here? I mean, was it any big deal in your view that they passed these stress tests? Stress tests? No, I, I think Guy just said, I think everyone expected it. So now it really comes down to, as, as both guys said, what's next? Because are the best days behind us? Are we just going to have one more great quarter? And then we got to talk about deceleration because that's what people want to see. People want to see accelerating figures. And if you're not going to do that, then you better give capital back to people. So I think the, the notes on Monday we get out of individual players is going to be important. And then also going forward, thinking about guidance and who can continue to win because the comps get tougher. Brian Kelly, you've been working on your shot um, because you're fiery about this. I wanted you to bring fire and actually see your face bring fire as opposed to just bring fire on the phone, but we'll go for the phone. You thought this was nothing. Oh, you don't have Brian Kelly. Come on. You know, so hold on a second. I mean, mean, Brian Kelly's supposed to be like the Bitcoin baller. I mean, if you think about what's going on, how is his technology? It just makes no sense to me. He's probably mining it. (laughs) It makes no sense to me. As we speak, but can't. Jump on the All right, so he was call. fire. As was the kids would say, he was fire. kind of fire emoji. He was kind of dismissive of everything Guy had to say about dis- this. That. Well, what did he well, say, Guy? He said the bank it was not a big deal. He right. said it was. he was completely, I don't know if he used the term nothing burger. That's something nah. BK would say. But nah. he was a bit exercised. We were even talking about this today, and probably rightly so, as Nadine just said. So this is not, look, if it had been a disaster, we'd have a much different conversation. But I think it was as a foregone conclusion, like we talked about. I'll say again, I mean, rates here at 1.5% probably where banks want them to be. And I think after the sell-off we've seen, the dance point, you can see a reacceleration to the upside. Yeah, I think the rate thing is really kind of interesting. I think it was kind of a foregone conclusion that higher rates were going to be good for all these yes. banks, and they kind of traded along with it. We saw tremendous outperformance since we saw the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield get to, I don't know, 175. And I think that's when the banks, you know, had really topped out or so. Um, listen, I don't think they know what they want. Um, and, you know, like higher rates at 2% or maybe a little higher, do we see a slowing economy and some of the trends that they benefited from over the last year or so kind of go away. I'm not sure right now, but to me, Guy, you keep kind of moving the uh, goalposts a little bit whoa, 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 whoa. On, the, on, the, on the price of tangible book. Or this, I mean, I don't know why you think that some of those things should be trading where they do. I think that to me, that's the only metric, and I've been pretty consistent yeah. on this. The only thing I look at when these banks report is 
where do they say tangible book is? And we've played the game. When City trades at 75% of tangible book, which it's done a number of different times, that's been a buying opportunity. It typically does trade up to tangible book, which we saw. Obviously, J.P. Morgan gets way ahead of its skis, but they are probably deserved of that. And we bring that up all the time. So when they yeah. report the absolute first number I go to, Mel, is tangible book value. Um, by the way, take a look at the action in the banks, if we can call it that, in the after-hour session, which is a fraction of a percent moves uh, in the after-hour session. Brian Kelly, as I understand it, oh. Is in fact uh, on the phone. Um, what did you say? Phone. What did you call these? A, a non-event? A nothing burger? I can't remember. That's nonsense! Nonsense! But we had <laughs> the biggest test in the history of banking since the Great Depression. We got the economy for the better part of the year. If not, a single bank fails. So what test are you going to come up with that's worth it? I understand why we're wasting the gas, and I get it while people are here because it means pay dividends. BK. Frank. Our, our yeah. connection is, is horrendous. We did, I did hear the word nonsense. You, you call these tests absolute nonsense. And the point <laughs> is that the banks live through a real-life stress test of all of those sensitivities and then some when it comes to the unemployment number, the drop in GDP, et cetera. We saw this in real time. The banks were there for the economy when the economy needed the banks the most, and they performed. But for investors at this point, will the banks perform given the outlook? for interest rates, et cetera. Yeah, I do think it's interesting. There was tons of railing about all the regulation after the financial yeah. crisis about banks. And look what happened. We literally had this black swan event. And, and, and let me tell you something. Banks got hit hard first because people thought that's where our problems have been in the past. When we have these sorts of economic crises, we're likely to see financial crisis. Why did the Fed move so quickly in February 22? They were trying to avoid the seizing up of credit markets. And they succeeded, Guy Adami. And I know that just triggered you um, in so many different ways. But, like, literally... The regulation worked. I am triggered, but I'm going to. So I'm not going to see. I don't want to do one of these Fed rant things because it's not the day no, for it. It's not, not the day for it. I mean, the banks are in good shape. I mean, the banks. Yeah, in if good shape. Tim Seymour were here and Karen were here, they would say that what the banks that have been do for me as never an been in better shape in in JP Morgan or City. That the banks are in great shape, but interest rates are below one and a half. I think one and a half percent is okay. For I think I would submit that one and a half percent is okay. If we were to go back down to that one one five yeah. area, so then we'll have a much different conversation. I don't it's think okay we're going there. It's okay in terms there. of the appreciation of the stocks. Yes, in terms okay. of how so the stocks will trade. So you do think that trade. they can still trade higher? Absolutely. Question. I know you yeah. usually ask the questions, but I want to ask you a question. Yes, Are we being a little cavalier because Ooh. next week when we get these like the, the buybacks and all this stuff? Yeah. Are they going to be big catalysts? Are they going to be the thing that puts J.P. Know. Morgan right back to one sixty? I'm asking you guys. I think J.P. Morgan can trade back up to its prior all-time high. It's traded significantly lower since then. Obviously, you mentioned when they all topped out. It yeah. makes sense. J.P. Morgan's deserved of a premium um, valuation. They've been getting it. Again, and I know you said they're not a bank. I know that. But Blackstone has been the one financial there you go. if you want to broaden the tent yep. okay. that's really been, again, to use the word, impervious to all these different things. And very quietly, the environment that we find ourselves in is still extraordinarily bullish. And I'm telling you something categorically, Melissa all Lee. Right. The an- no, you're not. You're not listening. listening. No, I'm I know listening. when you listen. Always I know listening. when you're not. Analysts are going to have to start raising price targets and BX into earnings. Nadine Terman, why don't you weigh in? Dan wants to play host here, so answer his question. Do you think the, the announcement of a capital return by banks next week, will that be a catalyst for any of them? People love it, so I'd actually just fade the news. So in between Guy and him, I would, you know, obviously take some money off the table after that point. 
because um, I think there's uh, better opportunities elsewhere going forward. So I think people understand that the banks have been solid, the banks have performed well, banks passed their stress test, they're going to be giving money back to shareholders. If somebody's surprised to the upside, you're going to get a little extra bump, but I don't see this as something that's going to continue on to be a leader of where you want to put your money. For more on the bank stress test results, let's bring in RBC's Gerard Cassidy. Gerard, great to have you with us. Um, Thank you, Melissa. Your, your take on, on whether or not this will be a catalyst at all for these stocks. We actually do believe it's going to be a catalyst. When you see the releases Monday night with the stress capital buffer numbers, we're also going to, of course, receive the capital action plans. And think about the dividends for a moment. The banks were not permitted to raise their dividends in 2020. So they have a year of catch up. So we expect to see double digit rates of growth in dividends when they make their announcements Monday night. We also have the strong buybacks, as you know. JP Morgan in December announced a $30 billion buyback. One of the other pieces of news here is that in prior stress tests, the banks always had to ask for pre-approval on the dividend increase and the buyback. That is no longer the requirement. So these banks can be very aggressive on the buybacks in the second half of 2021. So can you put this in context in terms of what the business environment is for these banks year on year and quarter on quarter when it comes to um, equity trading, when it comes to investment banking and FIC? Is the setup as good as it was last quarter in rates, of course? Yes. No, it's not. As you know, the numbers in the first quarter and for the second quarter of last year were tremendous. The numbers this quarter will not match anywhere close to the first quarter or second quarter numbers, but that's been disclosed. So that's priced into the stocks. So I think you're going to see the capital market numbers. They're setting up into the quarter. Everybody's expectations have been lowered dramatically. So they're probably going to meet those lower expectations. But the actual year over year and quarter to quarter comparisons will be negative because of the strength of the prior periods. Gerard, I know you heard Dan Nathan make fun of me, said I moved the goalpost with the tangible book. But is that irrelevant? Is is it as relevant as I make it out to be when you look at bank earnings? Absolutely. I think the earnings today are being uh, artificially impacted by loan loss reserve releases. So the best valuations we are looking at are both price to tangible book value and price to book. And when you take a look at year end 2017 and look where the banks are trading in what I would call a normal environment, if we could get to that kind of normal environment by the year end 22 and into 23, the upsides for these banks is still very strong in our view. I think guys follow up that you would like to ask is so you think Dan Nathan is wrong, but I'll, I'll push that aside. <laughs> In terms of your favorite stock at this point for stock appreciation, George, what is, which one is it? I would say Bank America continues to be the stock of choice. And the reason being, 90% of their business is here in the United States. We all know this economy is really strong and recovering. I'm back on the road. I'm in an airport right now. It is very crowded. So I would say that Bank America, its valuation is low. It has opportunities for growth. And most of all, you're going to see a nice dividend increase next week from them. And they got a big buyback plan. They have over $25 billion set aside for buybacks. And that could be lifted later this year if they choose to. Gerard, thanks for your time. Safe travels to you. Gerard Cassidy of RBC. Brian Kelly apparently is, in fact, uh-huh. on the phone and is, in, pa- in fact, um, well connected to us in terms of his sound. So, Brian, what do you think of uh, Bank of America? Uh, well, you know, I think they're fine. I don't think you're going to get rich off of owning all of these. Um, maybe there's some upside to these, right? But you think about the the bank. I mean, one, they've had a tremendous run 
coming into this. Uh, number two, they are getting, uh, they have competition from all sides, from fintech, from cryptocurrencies, from everything. So they are in the process of being disrupted. And, you know, if history tells you anything, you want to sell the de- disruptees and buy the disruptors. I think that's a great point, Mel. I mean, Bank of America has a $345 billion market cap. You know what else does? PayPal. You know, when you think about disruption, I mean, when you think about the, the equal market caps and you think of all the other stuff with DeFi and everything, I think BK makes a great point. I think you'd rather buy the disruptors than the incumbents. All right. Uh, we got an earnings alert here on FedEx. Shares are dropping after its earnings report. Frank Holland's got all the details. Hey, Frank. Hey there, Melissa. You know, shares of FedEx falling almost 4% after a record revenue and EPS for the quarter that beat estimates by 4%. For comparison, FedEx beat earnings estimate by 20% last quarter. The company also offering full-year guidance with the top and the bottom end of the range was above estimates, but apparently just not far enough above for investors. The company reported total revenue 30 percent higher year over year and double digit revenue growth in all segments that was also over the facts set estimates. So it sounds like a pretty solid quarter. Express air delivery, its most profitable segment, 32 percent higher year over year. Looking closer at Express and Ground, the company managed to increase volumes, yield per package and margin simultaneously year over year and quarter to quarter. But really, the bottom line here is this is not the kind of blowout quarter the company saw during the height of the pandemic, and investors just not enthused about the guidance. UPS also trading lower in sympathy. The call started just a few minutes ago. We'll be listening for more details on capacity and surcharges, the company doubling its surcharge for residential deliveries this week. Back over to you. Frank, thank you. Frank Holland, who will keep us posted, of course. Nadine Terman, your thoughts on FedEx. You know, we like it. We're looking for a pullback, though. So this might give it to us tomorrow because it was coming into the quarter with, call it, minus five to one downside because it, you know, obviously had run up a bit. Um, It's been a little bit bearish on the short term line and neutral on our intermediate term trade line. Uh, But it trades at an applied volatility premium. So it means people are paying for protection of 52 percent. We like that. And, you know, did the company go into detail yet about um, where they're going to be, you know, post this quarter? And are they going to be able to sustain high growth? No, they haven't given a lot of details. Their guidance, while it was up, it wasn't remarkably up. So maybe investors were looking to take some money off the table, go Mm -hmm. elsewhere. Uh, But you see a pullback. And we believe this should have multiple quarters of continued growth, especially going to fall. The supply chain is still constrained. And these guys are going to have to move um, items. And so there's not a lot of places to go. So we do like FedEx. It's interesting. comes off the UPS announcement a couple weeks ago. I, I look at this, by the way, you should follow Frank Holland on Twitter because he posted a great picture of himself. I when saw he was young. the Throwback I, Thursday picture. Unbelievable, <laughs> right? Fire. Door, yeah. fire emoji, yes. I think, right? Isn't that what they <laughs> Anyway, the, you know, if you look, Express is half their revenues, right? They'll do $22 billion, half of which is an Express. And their margins were a little bit disappointing. So I think the street is looking through and say, wait a second, maybe things are not operating as well as they have been on that side of things. I say this is still a valuation story. I think if you give it not even a market multiple, something close, it should be a $400 stock. It's obviously not going there tomorrow, but I think FedEx is cheap here. I mean, I think that this earnings season, we are going to continuously be faced with the question of how are the stocks priced in in relationship to where business is compared to the peak, right? That was peak business for... FedEx yep. and for UPS. 
a couple quarters ago, and now it's just not, and it won't be probably. Yeah, and it's also the thing that people might be reminded about valuation and historical valuation because right now, Guy, you just made the case why this is a cheap stock relative to the market, maybe not towards itself, but why is this stock trading so far below a market multiple? Right. Obviously, fairly cyclical. Um, you know, they've had some kind of headwinds, some secular shifts, that sort of thing. Um, you know, to me, I, I think value traps are value traps, and it's been consolidating like this for a very oh. long time. It didn't even get to break out when UPS broke out after their last quarter. But to your point about what the, we had the precursor, we talked about it last night on the show, that UPS analyst meeting right. told you basically what these guys were going to do. So at 290, I don't know, could it go down to 280? What's the low end of this range, Guy? 245, oh, actually. Wow. And I know you knew that. You just sort of teed me up because yeah. that's what you do. And yeah. we saw that two quarters ago, if memory serves, when they reported a great quarter and the stock sold off. And we were all sitting around looking at each other like, why is this happening? Only to see it get back above 300. I would take the other side and say, I don't think it's a value trap. I think it's a company that's been running better now for almost three consecutive quarters. All right. Coming up, we've got more earnings for your shares in Nike swooshing higher after its report. We'll break down the numbers next. Plus, we're talking to Marco Kalanovich, the man who moves the markets on how to navigate the summer ahead. Don't go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got another earnings alert. This one on Nike. That call is underway. Let's get to Sarah Eisen for all the details. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Melissa. Good to see you. Nike CEO John Donahoe just saying the return to sport and the permanent shifts for consumers like shopping online and buying fitness products are helping Nike. And Nike did knock it out of the park this quarter. Some highlights. Direct sales, which is a proxy for digital, surging 73 percent. 
That explains the big jump in margins that came in well above expectations at 45.8 percent gross margin, as digital is proving to be more profitable. Overall, sales nearly doubling, driven by the triple-digit growth in wholesale or stores that were open, not this time last year, and double-digit growth online, including in their sneakers app. Listen to what John Donahoe just said about that. Bring the emotion and power of our brand to life through our digital ecosystem, which is led by the sneakers app. In Q4, sneakers grew over 90% in demand, and saw nearly 80% growth in monthly active users. We're now offering this growing audience of high-value members an almost daily flow of compelling content and product launches. Just a few other highlights. North American sales, which remember last quarter got hurt by supply chain issues as ships were idled off the coast, came back a strong 141%. And China which was a bit of a wild card, grew revenue 17 percent, which shows that it was impacted by the backlash surrounding the Xinjiang controversy around the cotton and the boycotts that were called. It is a step down in growth for greater China for Nike, but double digit still points to strong demand. John Donahoe also saying growth opportunities going forward lie in women's and in the Jordan brand. Both are standouts at the moment. We're waiting on guidance. We're set to get numbers from the CFO in a few minutes. And also, especially, Melissa, around China to see whether Nike executives say that the business there is improving from some of the initial backlash, which did start around April. We also expect to hear more about the opportunities around the Olympics, which is always sort of a catwalk for Nike products. The stock was down 5.5% on the year going into this report, but it still is at a historically high valuation, 40 times, 42 times around next year's earnings. Back over to you. Sarah, thanks. Sarah Eisen from the New York Stock Exchange. Interesting setup um, in terms of the Olympics, back-to-back Olympics here for the first time ever. That's an interesting setup for Nike. But just before you're saying that this is a great quarter. Great quarter. I mean, the North American revenue numbers were almost a billion dollars better than expected, came in at 5.3. Four billion dollars, basically. Demand creation expense was better. It means they're running their business more efficiently. That's showing up in margins. Inventories were way down. Sales are way up, which means margins next quarter should be even better. And yes, valuation is expensive. Quite frankly, I actually think the stock just got a little cheaper, not more expensive in terms of valuation on the back of this quarter. And my sense is this should set it up to take out the January high of 147.95. Brian Kelly, your thoughts on Nike? Yeah, you know, I think Guy made the point about margins here, and that's what's going to be the name of the game as we go into Q3 and Q4 in the market, because everybody's wondering who's going to be able to raise prices and keep their costs low. And so if you have Nike that can actually increase their margins and have good revenues, I think they're going to be rewarded by the stock market. And so they've basically they've supplanted the slowdown in China with online sales. And good for Nike. I think this Internet thing's going to catch on. I'm glad they figured it out. <laughs> You know, the other part of that equation is is who used to sell Nike at their stores. Um, they're obviously not getting the sales boost or the traffic boost from Nike products anymore. Nadine, your thoughts on Nike here? I think you're talking about Foot Locker. <laughs> I'm not sure yeah. who you're talking about, but <laughs> thoughts on Nike? Uh, you know, in agreement here, um, you know, John's been running this company like the boss that he is. And you saw that with the growth in digital, the margin increase, and then navigating China. So, but I think that the comments around China are critical. So 
As my colleagues listening to that, that's very important. But you should see continued improvement in the fundamentals of this company. And as growth is unlocking internationally, so, you know, a lot of places are still shut down and Sydney just, you know, obviously had to lock down again. You're going to see a longer pathway for this company. So we're bullish. All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Markets at record highs. But should you fear a summer slump? The man who moves the markets joins us with his predictions for where stocks are going from here. And later, it's been a bumpy ride for Bitcoin, and it might be about to get even bumpier. BK's breaking down the hidden threat lurking in the crypto market. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another day for the record books. The S&P 500 and Nasdaq closing at all-time highs. No record for the Dow, but the blue chip added uh, index added 322 points. The man who moves markets joins us now to weigh in on this action. Marco Kalanovich, the chief global market strategist at J.P. Morgan. Marco, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, Melissa. You think that rates are going to go higher. What's going to power that move? Yes, yeah, so we think rates will go. Our target is 195 for the end of the year. Uh, what we think is going to power is basically reopening, reopening July and August, reopening in the U.S., reopening in the U.S., increased economic activity, mobility, and basically uh, yields resume going higher. So your price target on the S&P 500 is 4,400. Um, and I'm wondering, what, what does that move higher look like? Because before, whenever we've seen rates go higher, you lose technology. And can we have that move higher sustainably all the way to 4,400 by end of year if we don't have technology participate? Yeah, so you see, like, uh, 44 is not that much higher, right? So, so it's right. not a big move higher. Uh, and the technology, we think technology goes in line with the market, which is, again, it's, it's basically a few percent. So that's correct. You know, technology with the rising yields uh, see a bit of a headwind, but earnings are still strong. You know, keep in mind, technology companies will also benefit from reopening. So they go up, but they have a headwind. On the other side, cyclical stocks and value stocks, they have a tailwind uh, uh, from the yield. So, so basically, while S&P goes up five, we think uh, percent. Uh, we think sort of value can go much more. Marco, I'm with you on the 195, and, and it's been painful to be there for the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. obviously, but I think it's going to start mm-hmm. to reaccelerate. My question is, will this coincide potentially with the Federal Reserve that's going to have to ratchet back some of the rhetoric they've had over the last six to nine months? So, so we think no, and we hope no. You know, obviously last week was, was a challenging week, right? The Fed came on, on, on Wednesday, and then market uh, a bit took it a wrong way on Thursday and Friday. And there were some technical drivers, so that basically pushed yields lower, flattened the curve, and, and, and value took a hit, you know. So, so long story short, you know, we think that Fed will prioritize basically jobs and, and, and making sure not to cut the recovery short. Uh, so I think they'll, they'll let it, uh, you know, they'll, they'll keep sort of stimulus and, and 
you keep keep the sort of accommodation, and uh, that's going to sort of let um, uh, let the, the, the market moves higher and value move higher. But of course, there there are other other views in the market that Fed might uh, might move. So that's a big debate, you know. And I think last week was it was as you said challenging week, you know, the Thursday Friday. Um, uh, but look look at this week, you know, we are resuming values, resuming higher, and we think that's going to be the trend. And Marco, with the stronger nominal activity, you've got probably higher inflation in that the comments that you made with yields going up. Obviously, cyclicals are a place to be. But what do you say to investors who are saying, you know, is it tempting for those cheap defensives out there? Um, when you look at relative valuations, is it too early? Um, or what would you say to those folks that are looking at, you know, a lot of the sectors that have fallen behind? So you know, I would say it's, it's I would say it's early. You know, we think it's an early cycle, and why we think it's an early cycle because sort of reopening is only starting. You know, people are only starting to go to offices now, and soon they'll go to vacations and so on and so forth. So coronavirus is is in a retreat. So I think it's too early to turn defensive now. There will probably be some time, you know, but let's see how the summer reopening goes, how strong sort of activity is, where the positioning is by the, by the end of the summer, early September. So maybe, you know, there will be a time, but we think it's just, just early now. And when you say valuation is lagging, you know, yeah, I think when you have the, the, the sort of strong bounce in economy post, um, post one of the worst recessions, it's probably early now, you know. So, so anyway, our view is that this is still early cycle, and, 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 and we think, you know, we'll, we'll sort of reconsider our view in September, October, you know, and, and we may still stay, stay uh, constructive, but right now when you have basically July reopening in Europe and U.S., I think it's too early to go defensive now. Marco, I wanted to ask you about um, the note from earlier this week about the J.P. Morgan uh, macro survey. You polled 3,000 institutional investors. Um, Mm -hmm. 62% thought uh, cryptocurrency uh, was in a bubble. Uh, EVs were in a bubble, 17% on EVs. Only a few believe that bond proxies, 5%, are in bubble territory. You actually said that Bitcoin is a bubble back in January. You were right on um, when it came to that and the fall that we've seen more Mm -hmm. recently. Where is it now, in your view? Well, there was a, you know, it, it's hard to say. You know, for for us, it's, you know, we like to have some valuation anchor to to to, and, and we really don't see valuation anchor there. But but um, you know, there was a correction, so they're certainly cheaper than they were. And uh, you know, long term, uh, you know, we don't have a price target. You know, we we still think it's a very speculative assets with with very questionable sort of valuation anchor. So um, you know, so people who see the the current uh, pullback as an opportunity and have a conviction long term view, they're probably say that it's it's cheap and those who don't believe it they'll say probably it's expensive at any price you know so the survey that we had uh reflects that a little bit you know i think i would say audience of our conference this was our macro conference was pretty split you know you know roughly half and half you know are believers and non-believers you know and non-believers think it's zero and believers think it's it's much much higher so i think it's uh it's an interesting thing but you know we officially do not cover it so we do not have right. a price target okay marco great to speak with you thank you thank you so much Marco Kalanovich. By the way, we're going to have much more on Bitcoin and, and where it can go from here later on in the show. But in the meantime, Brian Kelly, I wanted to get your thoughts on um, 195 and what the market would look like if rates went to 195. Would it be higher or would it be where it is? Yeah, I, I think it, I think it would be higher, actually. And I think that's what we're seeing over the last couple of days. And we have this window of opportunity here between now and probably the Jackson Hole meeting, the Fed Jackson Hole meeting in August, where they generally will signal a change in monetary policy. But, you know, Powell successfully told the market, listen, we're not going to do anything until we get 5% inflation. 
And so, therefore, that leaves the door open for rates to go higher, equities to go higher, uh, and any of your reflation slash inflation trades to start moving higher. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with him. I think that into quarter end, which is next week, and then into Q2 earnings, which we're going to get literally starting in the third week of July, you might have a bit of a runway. The the, the major indices are breaking out. The S&P and the NASDAQ, the Russell 2000 has been consolidating in a range, um, what, for since February or something like that. So you may get a breakout there. I guess I go back to what we were talking about in the very beginning about earnings expectations for the back half of the year. You might just see as much as we rally here into Q2 um, earnings, you might have that kind of pullback and the pullback might come if rates start notching higher and then the indication that the fed might get a little bit more hawkish between their july meeting and then um, jackson hole in late august and that could be the setup for a pretty rocky august and i just take you back to the summers in 15 and 16 when we had growth concerns and trust me we're gonna have growth concerns this could be a rolling reopening it's not all happening like that that sort of thing so to me i think the late summer the higher we go maybe the harder we fall i'm not trying to curry favor with the crypto community uh-oh. But I'm reading the lower third. 49% think crypto's rat, rat poison. poison. According to a J.P. Morgan survey, there's something right. called survey bias. If I were to see that, I would just check off rat poison just, just because. Be- even if you didn't believe it. Just because. <laughs> just because rat poison is an option. Just putting it out there, Melissa Lee. That makes no sense whatsoever. Again, more on Bitcoin straight ahead. Meantime, coming up, shares of Eli Lilly hitting a fresh all-time high today following positive developments on its Alzheimer's drug. We will tell you what it means for the other major players in the space. Plus, as you mentioned, Bitcoin bouncing back today, but J.P. Morgan says it is buyer beware for the cryptocurrencies market. This is from the analyst who covers Bitcoin. We'll break down that big call. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Eli Lilly breaking out to a fresh all-time high today. This comes after the FDA granted a breakthrough designation for its Alzheimer's drug. Our loyal Fast Money fans may remember a few weeks ago when Guy said this is one of the best ways to play the space. The place to be is Eli Lilly because that's the one within my opinion, you have just better pipeline, better valuation stock. I think at all-time highs today, you trade Lilly off of Biogen in my opinion. Also worth noting, shares of Biogen sank today on the back of the Lilly News. Uh, Guy? That falls under the blind squirrel category that it often does. Now, we, we talked about it. We said you know, Lilly set up well, and it did. We said if you were waiting for this news for Biogen, this is the opportunity to take money off the table. And Biogen, I think, was trading 410 at the time, and it's, I think it's down about 12%, 13% since. So now you ask yourself, is it time to flip again? I don't think it is, but you know, Biogen gets back down to 325, 330. You buy it with both hands. And as Lily gets approaching 250, I think you start to take some money off the table into earnings. Nadine, where are you on pharma? You know, I have to give a hats off to Phyllis Farrell, my good friend who is uh, leading the charge here for Alzheimer's at Lilly. So that's the key thing. Um, in terms of pharma, obviously, healthcare has been difficult. It's been pretty volatile. So we would trade it as Guy is saying here, is that, you you know, when the winners are winning, you got to take some money off the table. And when things fall too hard, you got to put it back on. But obviously, you have to understand the pipelines. But it's been hard. It's been a defensive, more defensive area. So just like we heard from Marco, those areas have not been doing well. So you definitely have to trade around them. Yeah, and it sounds like we're going to get some boosters from Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson. We talked about um, Pfizer last night. I think Pfizer between 38 and 40, which is where it's been trading over the last couple months. That's up pretty well here. I think we're going to hear more about that as we get into the fall. So to me, Pfizer is the way to play it. 
All right. Coming up, new pressure for Bitcoin. Our Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, is diving into what could be a major headwind for the cryptocurrency. Plus, one software stock has seen a huge jump, and options traders are betting the rally continues. We've got the trade when Fast Money returns. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. A hidden headwind could put some pressure on the price of Bitcoin. J.P. Morgan pointing out the pending expiration of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust lockup that could send the crypto even lower. BK, how much pressure do you think this could put on GBTC, if any? Brian Kelly? And we lost. So problematic. The I mean, baller, I mean, he's like too busy mining. It's taking him too much bandwidth or whatever he uses. And, and there's no connection for the phone. For the good old, send a telegram, BK, and let us know what you think about the GBTC lockup expiration. Or smoke signals. Smoke I mean, signals. the entire island of Nantucket is out now because right. of BK, jerk. Right. Try. Well, it's funny. So, so that story is catching some steam, right? And, and yeah. so people are talking about supply here. Um, so they get lo- unlocked out of that trust. And maybe it's a uh, Bitcoin to sell. And, you know, obviously this 30 to 40,000 range has been really important over the last week or, or two or so. Um, I know that Guy Adami likes to quote our friend Carter Brackner. Mm-hmm. I think he said it on this show. If you break 30, there's an air pocket down to 20. 20,000 was the breakout level um, in December 2020. That was the all-time high from December 2017. So psychologically, maybe important. Um, I just don't know what the callus are right now. We're trying to double down on mining. Oh, it's BK back. You're kind of BK's back. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I mean. Yeah, you're like uh, uh, we got BK. Dan yeah, and got the it. baller. I, I go with the baller. Yeah. Well, it's better um, than me than guy. Yeah, me BK. too. BK, what do you think? Yeah, I'd go with me too. I mean, that's my choice. Now, so <laughs> I, I'm not sure how much you guys heard of what I was saying, but you know, you have this unlock coming in. It has actually been a weight on Bitcoin for the last couple months. And so after July 7th, I think it's July 12th or so, what you're going to see is there's actually not that much selling. So we have a period of time here between now and July 12th where you can see a little bit of a rally. And then I'd be worried about um, this big about 16,000 Bitcoin coming off of lock uh, in the middle of July. But after that, you can see that's kind of clear sailing for a bit. So as long as we have the Fed keeping the pedals of the metal and we have risk assets going higher, we just have to get through this little spike of Bitcoin uh, supply, and then I think we turn things around. Part of this note, BK, was that J.P. Morgan thinks fair value for Bitcoin is between twenty-five and 35000 in the medium term. Do you even think about Bitcoin in terms of fair value? Yeah, it's, it's one of those very difficult things like with any currency to do. The model that I use uses addresses, and um, you know we've talked about it on the show before. For me right now, where I would start to think that Bitcoin is getting as expensive is about 55000 uh, At about 29000 it's cheap. So that's kind of the range that I'm looking at right now. You know, BK, some people might take a look at GBTC because it always, or not always, but it has historically traded at a premium to Bitcoin, and now it's sort of the reverse. There's a discount to the underlying. And so they think the bigger the discount, the more sure money, a sure bet it is. Could that apply in the situation still or not anymore? Is that over? Uh, well, what, what has been happening, the reason why these unlocks are so important is because people have locked in a spread, so they're unwinding that trade. And that's why you're seeing the pressure on Bitcoin. If we see it go back to a premium, and I'm not necessarily expecting go back to a premium, then that trade might come back on again. And what does that mean? That means people buy 
Bitcoin or buy into the GBT trust at NAV, GBT has to go out and buy the Bitcoin. And that is a tailwind for the market. So we really need to see that premium come back for it to have another tailwind for Bitcoin. All right. Coming up, options traders are homing in on one software stock that has seen a huge rally recently. Mike Coe joins us next to break down the action. As we head out to break, a message from the president of the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce as we celebrate Pride Month. As an LGBTQ American that grew up in the great state of Wyoming, it wasn't always easy. But I have to say that um, being LGBTQ has helped me where I am today. It's affected not only me, but the organization that I helped found and the people that we serve every day. So you might not know it right this minute, but it is absolutely something that you need to be proud of and lean into. And I thank God for it every single day. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer Cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Starbucks. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, check out the trade desk soaring higher today. The ad tech stock is one of many jumping on news that Google is pushing back its timeline to kill third-party tracking cookies by a whole year. This news causing a big stir among options traders. Mike, what caught your eye today? Yeah, well, it traded more than 10 times its already fairly significant options volume today. And where we saw most of the activity, probably unsurprisingly, was in very short dated options, options that expire at the end of this week and next week. The most active options that were expiring at the end of next week were the July 2nd 80 strike calls. Over 15,000 of those traded at a VWAP of about $1.40. Obviously, buyers of those call options are speculating that the big spike that we've seen in these shares since the May 10th low may continue. But of course, the run has been significant, 54% or so up since that low. So I think options are probably the only way you try to chase this one. It's not often that we bring up... No, and I was going to say, he think he's got himself confused. He thinks it's Friday night with all the OA brainiacs. For those playing at home on our Fast Money <laughs> audience, that's volume-weighted average price, Mike. And I thought we'd just throw that out there, just as a the more you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to explain Absolutely. these acronyms that we might bandy about as if everybody knows. Um, but, Dan, what did you make of the trade desk? Pubmatic, by the way, was also up on the news. Yeah. Really, really interesting. Mike talked about some short-dated options, so looking for uh, a move above 80. Um, you know, listen, it just broke that downtrend it's been in on a big – you know, I don't remember this being the reason why the stock was trading down, you know what I mean, over the last six months or so. So I just kind of find that move kind of hard, and I think Mike makes sense. If you want to continue to play the uh, momentum, maybe you do some short-dated options, but I suspect that it probably has a little technical resistance in and around these uh, mid to low 70s. Mike, did you um, take a look at the options um, action and think that this is sort of ahead of all the fingerprints of, of the Reddit sort of trade? Yeah, so there, there was a significant amount of retail flow in there, but that wasn't all that we saw. There was actually some good block size trades going on in there, and I'm talking about, you know, two, three, 500 contracts at a clip. And that is not typically what you would see with the Reddit crowd. Those are usually, you know, we're talking about single digits, five, maybe 10 contracts at the most. So, while a lot of it was retail, there are some institutional participants in here as well. All right. Mike, thanks for that. Mike Coe. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, Final Trade. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's get another check on shares of Nike. Wow, up 
12.5% after reporting its earnings. A blowout quarter, strong growth in China in particular, up 17% in greater China. It is now, right now, in the after hours, at a fresh all-time high. Nike, 150 a share. Well, we talked about that, Melms. We said this should set it up to take out that prior high, Dan. Out it goes. Out it went. We'll see where it goes tomorrow. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Brian Kelly. Yeah, you know, I'm calling it on Skype. They have a reaction button. Heart, heart, heart. I heart that Nike trade. But for my final one, I will tell it with first soar, FSLR. Nadine Terman. Equinix, it's a mission-critical digital infrastructure play. We've been in for a while. It just broke the low end of our trading range, so 8 to 1 upside. Equinix. Dan Nathan. Yeah, so we mentioned Pfizer, good valuation, uh, good technical setup here, good catalyst potential here, so I like Pfizer. Guy. Mel, I know you're an avid hockey fan. Oh, a yeah. couple you things. Were you surprised that the Islanders were able to pull it out last night 100%. in Nassau? I know you were. It's yeah. a shocking win by them. Now, what chances do you give them tomorrow night in Tampa to win Game 7? 20%. 20%. You heard it here first, fans. <laughs> 20%. Twitter, Day 2, Mel. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Stay right there. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.